Section 45 of Shakespeare Identified. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England. Shakespeare Identified in Edward de Vere by J. Thomas Looney. Poetic Self Revelation, The Sonnets, Part 1. Poetic Self-Revelation, The Sonnets Quote, Shakespeare is the only biographer of Shakespeare, and even he can tell nothing except to the Shakespeare in us, unquote, Emerson. The line of investigation pursued throughout the greater part of these pages has been to search for indirect and unconscious self-expression on the part of, quote, Shakespeare, unquote. Anything like deliberate and complete direct self-disclosure is not to be expected, otherwise there would have been no problem for us to solve. There is, however, between the two, a form of what may be called an intentional self-expression and self-revelation, which the writer might or might not hope would lead at last to definite self-disclosure. Seeing then that we have insisted throughout on the distinction between the poet and the dramatist, and that Edward de Vere began and ended as a poet, a lyric poet at the outset, and in his last years, as we believe, converting his dramas into poems, our first task must be to take whatever poetic self-revelation Shakespeare unquote, may have given of himself, and see to what extent it may be regarded as a work of self-disclosure on the part of Edward de Vere. Shakespeare's work of poetic self-expression is, of course, the sonnets. The idea that these poems are fantastic dramatic inventions with mystic meanings we feel to be a violation of all normal probabilities and precedents. Accepting them, therefore, as autobiographical, our next step must be to see how these poems, as a whole, stand related to the authorship theory we are now advancing. Several points of accord between Edward de Vere and the, quote, Shakespeare, unquote, disclosed in the sonnets have already received attention in the cause of our argument. These we shall now recapitulate. 1. It was from the sonnets that we first of all deduced Shakespeare's personal attitude towards women, that curious combination of intense affectionateness with want of faith, all the passionate tenderness of his nature, combined with the mistrust, runs to the set of sonnets addressed to the quote, dark lady, unquote, whilst his lack of faith finds an additional expression in the sonnets addressed to by the young man who is, quote, not acquainted with shifting change as is false woman's fashion unquote. the same passionate affectionateness finds expression in oxford's verse whilst the passage just quoted from the sonnets is the particular theme of the whole of the first poem of oxford's being met with that on quote, women unquote. two the writer of the sonnets notwithstanding the philosophic vigour of the poems confesses to having quote, gone here and there and made himself a motley to the view unquote, which is strictly in accord with the quote, light-headedness unquote, and quote, eccentricity unquote, that are attributed to oxford along with the high testimony that has been borne to the superiority of his powers both by contemporaries and modern writers thus affording a contrast between his actual capacity and his external bearing which had not escaped the observation of Burley himself. 3. The sonnets bear unmistakable testimony to the fact that the writer was one whose brow was stamped with quote, vulgar scandal, unquote, 
whose good name had been lost and who at the time of writing the sonnets dealing with this theme wished that his name should be buried with his body that edward de vere was a man fallen into disrepute is the one fact about him that seems to have been grasped by those who are at all acquainted with him that it was a matter upon which he felt sore as shakespeare did is shown by what is probably one of the most powerful of his poems one on quote, the loss of his good name unquote. for edward de vere's loss early in life of home influences and his being brought up at court possibly to the bohemian life necessary to the fulfilment of his purposes as a dramatist all contributed to produce the conditions under which his quote, name received a brand unquote. this finds its expression in sonnet one hundred and eleven quote, oh for my sake do you with fortune chide the guilty goddess of my harmful deeds that did not better for my life provide than public means which public manners breeds unquote. five that shakespeare was one who was pursuing a vocation involving at the outset concealment of materials from those with whom he was in direct social relationship is evident from sonnet forty eight how careful was i when i took my way each trifle under truest bars to thrust unquote. This exactly fits in with the bearing of Oxford's early domestic relationship upon his dramatic and literary enterprises. 6. An allusion to Oxford's functions as Lord Great Chamberlain is probably contained in Sonnet 125, beginning, Wert aught to me I bore the canopy? Unquote. 7. As there is strong evidence to support our theory that Oxford was the man referred to by Spencer as quote, our pleasant Willie, unquote, we are able to connect with this theory the cryptic utterance of quote, Shakespeare unquote, in the quote, Will unquote, sonnets. Quote, For my name is Will. Unquote. 8. In our chapter on posthumous considerations, we have shown that there is good ground for believing that quote, our ever living poet. Unquote, was dead when the sonnets were published in 1609, and the fact that after being penned during many years the series was brought to an abrupt close, as near as can be judged just before the death of Edward de Vere, supports the contention that the writer of the sonnets, whoever he was, died at the same time as Edward de Vere. Starting with these several points of accord, which in their combination certainly represent a remarkable set of coincidences, our next task must be to examine the general situation represented in the sonnets, and see to what extent this, along with the details just enumerated, combine and form a consistent unity, applicable to the person and circumstances of Edward de Vere. The first and most important set of sonnets is itself divisible into sections, the opening section being a set of seventeen, the main burden of which is to urge the young man, to whom they are addressed, to marry, in order to secure the continuance of his own aristocratic family, and the rebirth of his own attractive personality in his posterity. Quote, then what could death do if thou shouldest depart, leaving thee living in posterity? Unquote. Quote, thou stickest not to conspire, seeking that beauteous roof to reunite, which to repair should be thy chief desire. Unquote. Quote, 
who lets so fair a house fall to decay which husbandry in honour might uphold against the stormy gusts of winter's day unquote. Quote, you had a father let your son say so unquote. we are not told who the particular young man was but the general assumption is that it was henry rothesley earl of southampton this is not only a reasonable supposition but it would be unreasonable to suppose that it was any one else for the following reasons one the personal description exactly fits two the personal situation also fits for his father was dead his mother was living he was the only surviving representative of his family and efforts were being made to get him to marry efforts which he was resisting three the poet addresses him in the same terms of strong affection as in the dedication to quote lucrece unquote. four direct reference is made to the dedications the fact of the young man's father being dead and his mother being still alive is made clear by the separate references to them quote, you had a father let your son say so unquote. and quote, thou art thy mother's glass and she in thee calls back the lovely april of her prime unquote. such references to southampton's father and mother are quite befitting a writer who was old enough to have been the father of the youth and who had been on intimate terms with both parents for oxford's former close association with the late earl is made quite clear in the state papers dealing with the catholic troubles some ten years before the reference to quote, the lovely april unquote, of the countess's quote, prime unquote, was natural to one who remembered her in her early years so that the youth the deceased father the dowager countess and the writer all assume a very intelligible relation to one another and to the poems as soon as we assume the earl of oxford to have been the writer on the other hand it is well nigh impossible to fit william shakespeare of stratford into the picture and to think of him at the age of twenty-six speaking with such assurance of intimate knowledge of the countess's quote, lovely prime unquote, we may perhaps be excused for reminding the reader again that it was the countess of southampton who made the entry after date into the accounts of the treasurer of the chamber of the only reference to shakespeare that these accounts contain in a letter written later to her son she makes what has always been regarded as a mysterious allusion to someone whom she speaks of as quote, falstaff unquote this again will be interesting to those who may think with mr frank harris that falstaff is quote, shakespeare's unquote, caricature of himself under particular aspects we need not pretend however to explain lady southampton's part in these matters the identity of the young man of the sonnets with the one to whom the long poems were dedicated is further attested by sonnets eighty one and eighty two your name from hence immortal life shall have though i once dead to all the world must die unquote. Quote, your moment shall be my gentle verse unquote. as then the name of southampton is the only one which the poet has associated with his verse not even excepting his own it is difficult to see how the young man addressed could be any other than he especially as the companion sonnet proceeds Quote, I grant thou wert not married to my muse, and therefore mayest without attain a look, 
the dedicated words which writers use of their fair subject blessing every book unquote. in our conclusion that these sonnets were addressed to southampton we have the full support of the great majority of authorities on the subject we desire to avoid as far as possible being drawn into the entanglements of discussing the dedication prefaced to thorpe's edition of the sonnets whether the letters w h are the transposed initials of henry rothersley or not there are no traces of quote, our ever living poet unquote, attempting to give quote, immortality unquote, to any other contemporary and the man to whom the first of the sonnets are addressed was certainly the quote, begetter unquote, of the first section in the sense of being their theme and inspiration it is natural to suppose therefore that the quote, begetter unquote, referred to in the dedication means the person to whom the particular sonnets are addressed at the same time he was not the quote, only begetter unquote, in this sense since others of these poems are just as certainly addressed to a quote, dark lady unquote. as however this dedication is without any quote, shakespeare unquote, authority it may have been penned by t t before he had read the whole series at any rate no conclusive argument may be drawn from a study of the initials alone the only argument that really needs attention is to the effect that the use of the letters w h shows that in the opinion of the writer of the dedication rothesley was not the person to whom the sonnets were addressed that if concealment was aimed at the transposed initials device was too transparent to have been used whilst if concealment was not aimed at the initials would have appeared in their right order decisive as this argument may appear facts are unfortunately against it for in the publication of an important anthology of the time quote, england's helicon which contains matter relevant to our present inquiry though put aside for the time being the editor appears as l n the transposed initials of nicholas ling the publisher of quote, hamlet unquote. W. H. may or may not therefore have referred to Henry Rothersley, and as we know nothing of the writer's authority, it evidently does not matter whether they do or do not. In a word, the discussion is perfectly useless, but will probably, for that reason, continue to exercise a strong fascination for quote, intellectuals. Unquote. So much printer's ink has already been wasted over these initials that a little more will hardly matter seeing then that others have indulged in guesses about t t the favourite theory being that they refer to thorpe the publisher we may perhaps be permitted to point out that the name of the father of oxford's widow was thomas trentham and that if he were alive at the time when oxford died he would be the one to whom the widow would naturally turn for assistance in straightening out the affairs certainly her brother's name appears more than once in connection with the management of her son's estate fortunately the question is not likely to arise as to whether these initials are in their original or transposed order quite apart however from this discussion of the dedication there is ample justification for the belief that the quote, better angel unquote, of the sonnets was henry rothersley third earl of southampton now as to the man who wrote the sonnets for this is really the most important point throughout the whole series he assumes the attitude of a matured man addressing a youth 
indeed in one of the other series he speaks of himself as being no quote, untutored youth unquote, but that his quote, days are past the best unquote. the following from sonnet sixty three is unmistakable quote, against my love shall be as i am now with time's injurious hand crushed and o'erworn when hours have drained his blood and filled his brow with lines and wrinkles etc unquote. we may even detect an indication of his approximate age in these lines quote, when forty winters shall besiege thy brow and dig deep trenches in thy beauty's field unquote. the next point is the date at which these particular sonnets were written we find that the first sonnets of the first set are assigned generally to about the year 1590, when Oxford was just forty years of age. The dedication of quote, Venus unquote, to Rothesley is dated 1593, and as the sonnet which seems to refer to it is number 83, 1590 may be accepted as a reasonable date for these seventeen opening sonnets. This, then, is the situation represented by the poems. About the year 1590, a matured man, quote, with time's injurious hand crushed and o'worn, unquote, addressed to the youthful Earl of Southampton, then only about seventeen years of age, a number of sonnets urging upon him the question of matrimony, and putting in the special aristocratic plea of maintaining the continuance of his family's succession. In respect to these facts, we shall first consider the Stratfordian position. In the year 1590, William Shakespeare, the son of a Stratfordian citizen, having become interested in theatres and thereby acquainted with a young man just home from the university, and having himself by that time attained the patriarchal age of twenty-six, suddenly becomes greatly concerned about the continuance of the youth's aristocratic family and writes a set of exquisite sonnets urging him to marry. He also assumes the bearing and tone of a man of large and even painful experience, quote, past his best, unquote, with chilled blood and wrinkled brow. We doubt whether a more ridiculous position ever provoked the hilarity of mankind. The position of Bacon in respect to this matter is only slightly better, for he at that time was still under thirty years of age though as one about the court his acquaintance with Rothesley would have been of longer duration and probably more intimate most amusing in connection with the question of the age of the poet is the theory that roger manners fifth earl of rutland was the author of the sonnets for in fifteen ninety roger manners was only fourteen years of age and the entire series of shakespeare's sonnets was brought to a close before he had reached the age of twenty-seven End of section 45 Recording by Edward Kirkby, Warwick, England